This morning we are continuing our look at what the gospel means for our life. That's what Easter does for us, right? It says Jesus has risen from the dead and the gospel has come to life. We can live in the good news that not only are our sins forgiven, but we are good and right and accepted by God because of Jesus. And so we're explaining and expounding on all of that over the month after Easter. Today we're looking at Acts chapter 7, uh, 54 and following. It's the stoning of Stephen. It's on page 889 if you have one of these uh, white and blue Bibles in your pew, if you want to follow along there. And let's begin with Dear Lord, thank you for letting us gather once again this morning to hear your word. We pray that as we hear that word, you would send us your Holy Spirit and work true faith in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little while back, a little while ago, I had the moment. You know the moment. Uh, It's the moment when you're sitting and listening to somebody's conversation and you think to yourself, I have just the thing to say, just the thing to add that is going to finish this story in a great way. It's going to give the, the slam-bang finish to the story. It'll wrap it all up. I, I was listening to a presentation from a gentleman on uh, the history of Lutheran mission here in America. And the early 20th century, the story is all about the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It's their glory years and the great mission that they did. And then he got to 1961 and the, the split and the story kind of stops. And I thought to myself, I've got it. I know how the story ends. The next step and it's a fabulous ending. It's, it's a, the kind of ending that says, look how great God is. Doesn't he do a great thing even when things are tough? And yet in that moment, that moment, right, I, I seized up. I, my, my, if you know me, uh, when I'm a little bit afraid, my, my legs will start bouncing a lot. I'll sit in my chair and I maybe even cross them so that I can bounce my, my foot. Uh, my hands started shaking a little bit and my throat dried all up. Uh, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, oh, man, I know the thing to say, but should I say it? I mean, it's not my presentation. I'd hate to ruin this guy's presentation. I mean, it was, you know, there was a room of 20-ish people there. Um, what if I'm too loud? What if I'm too crazy? What if I talk too quickly? I, I could ruin the whole thing. And my mind went to all of the other times in my life where I've had that moment that I thought I had the thing to add that was going to really, you know, make the story for the person, bring it all together. And um, like the time when I was in the cafeteria back in, in, in seminary and I threw in a comment and it was the most embarrassing moment of my life. I've never lived it down, right? So I was afraid of all of these things as I, as I thought there in that moment. Uh, the truth is, is I'm a terrible sharer and I know that. I, I always end up sharing the things that I don't really want to share, the things that aren't important and I don't share the things with people that really are important. If I've got something on my heart to tell you, I will probably not tell you. I'll just chicken out and I won't share it because I'm so uh, afraid of acceptance and approval, belonging, that, that I, I'm driven by those things. How much do fear of acceptance and approval and belonging drive you? How much does that drive how much you share with people? like to ask you to do something for me as we, we get started today. I've got this little continuum for you in your service folder. If you're following along the service folder, it's on page seven there. And you've got a, you know, just a line, a line segment with, with two ends on it. And I want you to think of a person in your life with whom you'd like to share something important. It doesn't even have to be the gospel. Maybe you're trying to have the conversation with your parents about moving into a living facility. 
Maybe you're having, trying to have the conversation with your kids about getting a job. Uh, and I want you to think about how fearful or confident you are about having that conversation. And, and just put a little line on that continuum. Are you more afraid or, or less afraid? Because here's the thing. Today what we get to see, right, what we see are, are two people, two groups of people very much contrasted. Uh, the first is, is the Jewish religious leaders. Stephen is preaching what I think is the second longest sermon in the New Testament to these Jewish religious leaders. They're all listening with bated attention, and he gets to the end and he says, you're so stubborn. For centuries you have refused to listen every time God sends a, a preacher to you who says, you can't save yourself, you can't do, your, do it yourself, you need some help, somebody to save you. You get all angry and you refuse to listen. And the Jewish leaders do just that. They get really angry because Stephen is calling them stubborn and it, it ruins their witness to Stephen. Instead of them being able to convince Stephen that maybe he's wrong, that maybe the Jesus is not the Messiah of God, they blow up at him and Stephen refuses to listen. And the lesson for us, the takeaway, is supposed to be that that's what law-based, dogma, pounding religion does to you. Not good religion of, of the gospel of Jesus, but the, the kind that roars into you and says, if you don't do the right thing, God will hate you for your whole life. It turns you into a fearful, terrible witness. And then on the other side, there's this picture of Stephen, grace-based, spirit-filled witness. Stephen makes a, a beautiful witness to the glory of God in the face of these, these people who are so angry. And so the invitation to us is to become wonderful witnesses, like Stephen, to, to become wonderful witnesses. And so let's start here. We're going to take a look first at verses 54 to 56, uh, and it goes like this. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. All right, so... The question immediately comes to mind, well, where does Stephen get the guts to call out these religious leaders? You and I know how hard it is to have a meaningful conversation about a serious topic like religion or politics, even with our friends and our family and our neighbors. It's hard, isn't it? Now imagine taking on the most educated religious leaders of the day on a religious topic. I mean, who is this Stephen guy? Is, is he just this guy who is so, he has such the personality, he, he's so driven that he is willing to take on anyone? Is that how brazen he is? Uh, is this a guy who's, you know, you know, some of those people in life who don't have any filter, everything they think just comes right out of their mouth? Is, is that who Stephen is? And so he's, he's almost an overshare? This is really important for us to, to figure out. Do you know how important this is? See, Stephen, well, here's a secular writer, and I, I think she overstates the case, but listen to what she says about figuring out how we, we need to be able to share. She says, if you're, if you're like me, 
practicing authenticity. And what she means by that is just being able to, to express your opinions, your ideas, can feel like a daunting choice. There's risk involved in putting your true self out in the world. But I believe there's even more risk in hiding yourself and your gifts from the world. Our unexpressed ideas, opinions, and contributions don't just go away. They are likely to fester and eat at our worthiness. I think we should be born with a warning label similar to the ones that come on cigarette packages. Caution! If you trade in your authenticity for safety, you may experience the following. Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, addiction, rage, blame, resentment, and inexplicable grief. Now, I think she overstates the case. She says too much. And yet, I, I think she's kind of making a point for us. And let me give us an example. Um, so it, it, talk to a lot of adults, right? And their, their children are maybe stepping away from faith in Jesus Christ. And, and how, do you, how do you handle that situation? Um, you, you love them. You care for your children so deeply. And, and you care for them so much, you want to have a good relationship with them so much that, that maybe you will avoid talking about the most meaningful and significant topics. Obviously, every conversation can't be about Jesus Christ. But, but if the guiding principle of your family is we don't talk about religion and politics, right? I, I can't believe how many dysfunctional things families don't talk about because the family itself is so sacred. It's almost more sacred than Jesus. And what does that do to you? Does that eat you up on the inside if you don't talk about it? See, that's what, that's what Renee is kind of trying to point out for us. That everybody wants somebody to think well of them, right? Everybody, everybody cares about what someone in their life thinks. And the question for you is, is whose verdict, whose acceptance, whose belonging, whose approval means the most to you? If your acceptance and your approval, your belonging that you are looking for comes from the person who is sitting right in front of you, that's always going to have at least two effects on you. First, you're never going to be happy. You're always going to struggle to be happy because how can you possibly do enough for that other person to satisfy them? You're always going to struggle to be happy. But secondly, God can never use you as a deliverer in somebody else's life as long as you're looking for the approval of that person. If the other person, if we're all sinners, if that other person is a sinner and they need to be delivered from their sin, as long as you're looking for their approval, their acceptance, their belonging, you can't possibly be God's tool. How can you tell them that they need to repent if you're just hoping that they will finally accept you? We can't do that, can we? See, that's the problem that God wants to bring to our attention here. I put it this way for us, and I think we can take this away, that, that when you look around you, when you're busy looking at the people next to us to fit in, to find approval and belonging, right? won't our witness fall down? We can never be clear witnesses as long as that's how we operate. And so then the, where does Stephen's courage really come from? That's what God shows us here. 
Did you catch it? So if you read down to the next verse, it says that Stephen looked and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, it, previous generations, they got this probably better than, uh, than we do. So we'll need to pause here and just think about this for a real quick second. Uh, the commentators will all tell us how interesting this is. When you think about Jesus and he ascended into heaven, right? where do you think that Jesus is? Where do you think he is right now? Don't, don't we all think that he is seated on the throne? Don't we think about him as sitting on the throne? That's what the creed says. He ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, what does this mean that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God? Because that's, that's, that is what it says. So, previous generations, you think, how did you, how did you respectfully receive somebody into your presence? Uh, maybe you need to go home today and, and ask grandpa about this, right? But if a lady walked into the room, what would everybody do? They'd all stand up, wouldn't they, to, to receive the lady into their presence? Uh, we still do this in court cases. The bailiff says, all rise for the honorable so-and-so, don't we? Um, and, and maybe if you've gone to a concert before and it's been a wonderful concert, you don't just give an, an applause at the end. You, you stand up and you give a standing ovation, don't you? You're receiving the, the music of the symphony. And so what's the point here? See, it, it's Stephen looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus standing. He sees Jesus saying, here, Stephen, come to me. I'll receive you. I welcome you. I, I, I respectfully receive you into my presence. Stephen knows that, that Jesus has died not only for his sins, but for all of the things that he never even confessed in his life. And because of that death, God welcomes him and approves him and accepts him. And, and so what does Stephen need in this world? What does it matter if these people around him don't welcome and approve of him? If the king of the universe, his Lord and his Savior says, Stephen, come into my presence. I'll stand for you. What does it matter? What else does Stephen need? If the God of heaven and earth says, come to me. I'm waiting for you. Can you imagine how wonderful, how emotionally stable you would be if you could see yourself as somebody who is always welcomed into the presence of the king of the universe? Can, can you imagine if, if every single conversation you had was no longer an audition to see if the person would, would accept you, if you could fit in, if you weren't wondering if they would love you anymore, but, but if every single conversation was an opportunity to welcome somebody into the respectful presence of the God of heaven and earth. Can you imagine how, how, how solid your heart would be? How much more courageous your sharing and your witness would be? See, the point here that, that Stephen is trying to make for us is that when you see Jesus standing for you, I can promise you, I can promise you that you will be a more courageous witness. And that witness that you make will be absolutely wonderful. I want to wrap it up and look at this thing. Did you see what Stephen said? Take a look at what Stephen said. He said this, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
Does that sound familiar to you? That, that should sound familiar to you. That's what Jesus says on the cross, isn't it? And I can't think of, of a place in the Bible that better teaches this, that the more you look to Jesus, the more you are filled with Jesus, and the more wonderful then that your witness becomes. Right? When you are, are looking to Jesus, you're going to get filled up with him, and, and it will just come out, out of you, right out into your life. I, I had to change a whole lot in thinking about this, because I used to go through a lot of my life thinking to myself, well, if I know the right things, then maybe I can say the right things. Right? And there came a point where I had to realize that my heart always moves faster than my head, and I don't just mean my emotions, but like my whole person. And if my heart wasn't filled up with something good, all kinds of bad stuff came out. I, I never had the right thing to say because I was relying on my head. Right? But when you realize that the more you look to Jesus, the more you will be filled up with him, what comes out of you is going to be wonderful. So let's become wonderful witnesses. Huh? Let your witness be wonderful. I can tell you a little promise, and I said that, right, that the more you look to Jesus, the more you'll be filled up with him. Um, two times in the last couple months, I've heard examples of how this is true. Right? So a couple months ago, somebody comes and they, they say, you know, I was meeting, I was doing this one thing in my life. And I, I talked to this person, non-believing person, and they said, you know, thank you so much for listening to me and for, for just having this conversation with me. Um, because I have a lot of conversations with religious people, and, and they always go badly. Right? I always feel terribly judged, and, and nobody ever is, is listening. Um, and the, the person said, hey, you know, I'm a sinner just like you. The only reason I can do any of this is because I have been respectfully received by Jesus into his presence. That's the only reason I can stand in front of you. And then what was so ironic was it, it wasn't but maybe a month later that I had almost the exact same conversation with somebody else. They, they had a co-worker leaving. They were a, an atheist. They said, though, hey, thank you so much uh, for listening to me all the time on this job. You were the, the one person who really treated me with grace and, and listened to me. And he said, you know, I, it's, it's all grace. I'm, I'm just a sinner like you. It's only because I've been received by Jesus that I can stand here and I have this hope that someday I'll be received eternally. Otherwise, I couldn't do any of this. Now, if that doesn't tell you that this promise from God isn't true, that the more you look to Jesus, the more you'll be filled with Jesus and your witness will become wonderful, I don't know what is. And so take a look this week on where you drew that line here and see if maybe it can, can move just a little bit, huh? as you look to Jesus. Because people who are filled with wonder, wonderful people, make for wonderful witnesses. Can we pray for that? Heavenly Father, it's true that very often my witness is, is driven by fear and shame and guilt. Fear of all the past failures, guilt for all the mistakes, and, and shame because I know that I'm not enough to do these things on my own. But I, I praise you for your grace that receives me into your presence, and that verdict is more important to me than anything else that anybody would ever say. 
So don't just forgive me, Lord, but fill me up with you, with your love, your joy, your mercy, and your forgiveness, that I might be a wonderful witness for you. Fill my witness up with wonder at all of the wonderful things you've done, today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. And would you